What's up, Accelerators? Welcome to Normalize It, the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin, and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method. That's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that. So whether you're an advocate, entrepreneur, business owner, stakeholder, VP, or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion, this show is for you. Let's dive into it. Jeremy, how's it going? It's going good. Thanks for having me. People know you as somebody who is bringing a conversational tone, I feel, to the world of disability inclusion on social media, especially around ADHD and autism. How'd you get started in this? Well, um, I'm a classically trained filmmaker, and that has always been my end goal is to break into Hollywood, write, direct films, TV. And when I graduated college, I was met with a lot of ableism. There's major barriers into Hollywood and into uh, any kind of entertainment with the hours and all sorts of things. And so around 2009, just a few years after YouTube became a thing, I fell into doing that kind of work for clients, helping them start and manage YouTube channels. Um, So I've been doing social media stuff since 2009. Uh, I have over 150 million career views across all the videos that I've created. I I got a full-time employeeship doing social media, specifically YouTube creation for a channel. Um, And after I was done with that, I took a break. It was during the pandemic and kind of just reassessed everything. After getting over the burnout of doing content for so long, I was like, you know what? I want to make videos for myself. It It started as a way of me to process through some things that I needed to externalize out of my body, get off my Mm -hmm. chest as it were. And so I'm like, I feel like this needs said, I'll make a video. And they blew up. (laughs) Cool. So, yeah, that's how I got into social media disability advocacy. That's so cool. Because I think that, like, the, the world of disability inclusion, we, like, bringing that conversation forward allows people who may not feel comfortable or don't have the words to be able to express themselves with their own either personal disability or disabilities that their friends or family may have. And I feel like... It's, it's very close to me. I, I remember when I started having the conversation around uh, accessibility, I went to YouTube as my first source, uh, Lucy Edwards. Yeah, she's a blind uh, girl from the UK. Oh, and I say blind girl because that was her, her tag. It was called, you know, how does a blind girl X? And she would create videos just about how does, how does a blind girl function in the world, in, in the world of, of seeing people. And it was so approachable. It changed the conversation for me. I use her videos in the talks that I give uh, because it is just so approachable. And I think that you, you've you got that. Uh, one of my favorites of, of your videos is the uh, ADHD groceries and the, and the barbecue one <laughs> because I've definitely lost entire tanks of barbecue propane by leaving on them. <laughs> and I didn't, I don't have visual cues. And now like, I remember like if I could just do that and you know, you've taught me a few things there as well. Where, where do you get some of that inspiration from? My own life. Like mm-hmm. what's been really interesting is me creating the content is teaching me what I've been doing. 
-hmm. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that these are the processes that I've been subconsciously building into my life so that I don't run out of propane. <laughs> and, and so I, I, when I'm going about my daily life, I have just running in the back of my head, what are some opportunities of things that I can share? And that's been ingrained since I started in social media of just like looking for opportunities. And so that video about I leave the uh, the door open to my grill mm -hmm. to indicate until I've turned the tank off, I had just grilled. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, this might be helpful for people. And so then I write a script and I act it out. And and then it also helps me because I'm like, wait a minute, this this is a this is a cool tool. How, how else can I apply this to other things in my life? So it feeds me as well. That's cool. Well, what about what about any advice to someone who's maybe listening or, or or watching this afterwards? What do you say to somebody who wants maybe to get into the world of that content creation, especially expressing their own experiences with disabilities? What do you what would you say to somebody like that? Go into it for the right reasons. Mm. Because I've been in the position over the years of chasing views, chasing income especially when you're working for somebody else, like the pressure of, well, we have to make money from this. And when you do it yourself, you put so much pressure on yourself of like mm -hmm. to get the views and all that kind of thing. And so content creation is much, much harder than people realize. And I'm not saying that to discourage, but to say to have the right mindset of what are you doing that is that you're getting out of this outside of views, outside of potential future or current, depending on how big you are, income. Because mm -hmm. if you're doing it for those two things, you're going to burn out and it's not going to be sustainable. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that there's a lot of similarities that people don't realize between you know, content creation and in fact, professional speaking as well. I'm not sure if you do any speaking. And also just like plain simply like running a business, right? There, there There's a lot of... Um, entrepreneurship like techniques and and uh, similarities between if I want to grow a channel it's like growing a business it really is you, you know is. setting goals like uh, understandable goals and and quantifiable goals that that are not you know I'm gonna go and hit uh, viral you know videos in fact I've spoken to a lot of content creators who say the virality is supposed to be the icing on the top you shouldn't chase that if you're gonna get a hundred and fifty thousand views on your second post like that's great but you can't chase that because you may fall into the trap of the next yeah. 10 20 30 40 videos getting you know between that 300 to a thousand kind of trap that we fall in you want to go bacterial not viral Ooh. <laughs> so I use that as a joke in my training I used to do social media consulting but specifically to help people grow social media, but now I'm focusing on disability representation. Mm -hmm. um, but I would use that joke to say, like, you want to look at sustainability and videos will pop off and go like, oh, sure. that one's really taking off. That's great. But if you start chasing viral, the core of your content, the why of your content quickly goes away. And then you burn out because you're always chasing instead of being true to your core and your why. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, I remember hearing an analogy one time of imagine you have a, a hundred sided die. You, you have a die with a hundred sides and there's one side that's green and everything else is red. 
And the virality only happens every time you roll green. So out of every 100 times that you post something, it'll turn green. But every time that you hit a red, the color turns green. So the more frequently that you do something, the, the more chances it's going to come up. Once what you thought of as viral. So when you're first starting out, you're like, I got 500 views. A year later, you're like, oh, I got 500 views. Right, right. So that I love that analogy because it's like you're you're turning those to green. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I use red and green. I mean, I'm colorblind and, you know, they'd just be, they'd just be terrible for me anyways. It's just terrible. Um, all right. I, I want to talk about some of your, your favorite pieces of content that you've created because there are the ones, as we know, that kind of go viral or, or get explosive views. And then there's ones that we as creators just love to create because it's what yes. we love. And they are sometimes at polar opposites. Like, I yes. did so much work in this one. And it Thank you for putting that up. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I have so many videos that I'm like, this is so good. It's such an important message, but it really is for a niche audience. It's not that shareable of content. And I oftentimes go into it knowing this isn't that shareable for that wide audience, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm making the difference for the people that it needs to reach. <laughs> Actually, my, my biggest video of my own content of all time has 8 million views the last I looked. And it's my least favorite video. Ever made. <laughs> I had even gone, I made the video and I'm like, oh, my performances are, are not what I was trying to convey. My acting is like, it doesn't read what I was going for. I'm like, this can be misinterpreted. I just, I don't like this video, whatever. I'm going to put it up anyway. It'll get a few thousand and I'll move on. <laughs> and it blew up. So you have that on the flip side as well. With some of my favorite videos, there, there's a few different veins that I operate in. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I love to do, especially with my background and my future, is I love to take disability representation in film and TV that already exists, that Hollywood is putting out, and I'm using Hollywood in a very general terms, <laughs> and I analyze it. Is this equitable disability representation and is this harmful disability re mm -hmm. representation? And I use and instead of or because one representation can be both. Right. It can be both equitable and harmful in the different nuances of how it's portrayed. So Absolutely. I love doing that. So I have several examples. One of them that did not perform as well as I had hoped was on Willow, which the TV show didn't perform as well as they hoped. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the approaches that I used with that is, okay, so there's disability representation in this. It's not necessarily good. It's not necessarily bad. But I give a pitch of how I would have written that series if I were doing the show and mm -hmm. putting it in with disability representation because the original movie was so groundbreaking that mm. your main character was a little person and the story revolved around him. Like it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and, and for the eighties, that was like mind blowing. Yeah. Um, and sadly it's still a little mind blowing. <laughs> And so one of the disappointing things with the series is that he was no longer the main character, even though the show is named after him. Oh, wow. 
so yeah, I, I really enjoyed doing that breakdown. Um, also Wednesday, mm -hmm. that television show I loved. And there's this uh, presence in social media of people talking about, oh, is she coded autistic? Hmm. And so I went into uh, looking at like, okay, let's assume that she is. Mm -hmm. Is this equitable? Is it harmful? What could have been done better? What could they do in season two? So I love doing those kinds of things. Can we get into that sure. a little bit? I'm, I'm really curious sure. about that. Like I didn't watch Wednesday. How did you approach that? Because, you know, I think as content creators, we hold, we hold an authority that we don't know of sometimes, right? Yes. You know, and, and, and an expertise, uh, again, we're going to refer to one of your videos where someone maybe is self-diagnosing and, you know, how can somebody even say that, you know, I have ADHD if they've not been properly diagnosed. So we hold an authority and, and, and it can be, um, sometimes uh, misrepresented. Uh, you know, people can talk about disabilities. I know this is very common in the deaf community. The deaf community is quite against um, people who are teaching sign language who are not deaf themselves uh, or or who don't have proper training. They're more like home signs and, and, and it's not really a, the proper like ASL training. So that's a big thing. So how do you, tell me a little bit more about Wednesday and how you kind of broke that down. Yeah, uh, something that I try to do and I have failed in the past is to provide nuance and to say like, these are interpretations. Mm -hmm. So like you, the audience member, take this and use it to think about it. I'm not the authority on this. I'm not trying to tell you mm -hmm. this is the way it is. These are my observations. So with Wednesday, I started the video presenting the, okay, hypothetically, let's say her character is autistic. And I got some really great feedback in the comments. And oftentimes I learn as much from the comments as people are learning in the video. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I didn't consider that. And oh, the, here's all these different angles. Um, and so sometimes I'll do a follow-up video that explores the things that I've learned. So with Wednesday, it's in similar things where the, the character is coded. And for the audience who doesn't know what coded mean, coded means that the character isn't officially canonized as being something or another. Got so it. in this case, autistic. No one ever says, oh, you're autistic in the show. And so in our head canon, people are interpreting, well, she has these behaviors that kind of lines up with autism. And then we're interpreting through that lens. And I love to take lenses and like look through the lens metaphorically at whatever it is. And then we take that out and put a different lens on and see how sure. the show changes. Um, and with Wednesday, it was a, it was really cool to see how there is overlap. And several mm -hmm. people in the comments were like, well, actually she has some behaviors that could be this diagnosis. And I'm like, Oh, I've never heard of that. Mm -hmm. And so there was some really great conversations going on with that. And that's what I really love is the conversations that happen because of I'm posing questions. I, I really liked the show Wednesday. I'm not really a horror guy. <laughs> uh, it was right on the edge of my comfort zone in terms of blood and uh, scariness. But um, in my head canon, Wednesday is autistic. And I would absolutely love if the people involved in the show saw my video and decided to take her in that direction. Mm -hmm. So Tim Burton has been rumored to 
let's see. So Helena Bottom Carter did an interview saying that she believes that he, and this was before Asperger's was no longer a, a diagnosis, that he has Asperger's. And so there's there's some potential there. And I'm like, oh, this this could be why all of his characters seem coded autistic to autistic mm. people because his traits come out. So that's that's a cool uh, theory. And I wonder what he thinks about her interview with that. Um, but yeah, there's there's all these elements that I like to think about and puzzle through and uh, see how it resonates with. Uh, my audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're not going to talk about trolls. We're not going to talk about the negatives because I know, I know <laughs> that's always something to uh, to worry about as well. I know I've yeah. held back. I've held back from posting something uh, because I was I was afraid of the backlash, even though it was unfounded and truly we don't know how it's going to resonate until we post something. And uh, the few times I have been vulnerable or post about something that's a bit edgy what happens is more people than, than not appreciate the conversation want more. And yes, there is sometimes a bit of a, a bit of backlash as well, but I think that just comes with the case. Just before yeah. we started the show though, we started talking about the similarities between Hollywood and content creation. Why don't you kick us off? Because you kind of dropped that in, in the pre-show saying that there's similarities and where do you, where, what are the similarities? Like, tell me more, tell me more. So it's all media that we mm -hmm. consume. It all has a profound impact on perception and culture. And I lean towards story. So in my social media creation, I tell stories. Um, and I believe that that's so powerful in creating experiences that the, that the user or the audience goes through. And this is the same thing with film and television. So um, even if you're the kind of social uh, media creator that's, well, a podcast having this kind of conversation or someone who's speaking directly to the, to the audience, those are still experiences that humans are having and our experiences and the emotions we feel from those experiences shape us and collectively shape culture. There are different corporations that are in the different spheres of Hollywood to social media. But from my own perception, I don't see that there's a real big dividing line. It's all a movement of communication. And this can be mm. communication that causes harm or uh, good things as well. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's all part of the whole cultural storytelling an experiential landscape that has so much impact on everybody's individual lives. Um, so in Hollywood, social media is somewhat poo-pooed. We've had social what? media for, for more than a decade. We've yeah. seen the impact. We've seen huge social media creators go on to make amazing films and TV shows. And we're still in this kind of like, oh, you're an influencer. <laughs> For me, it was really easy to translate the skills in my uh, training to go into Hollywood into mm -hmm. social media to tell stories just with a different kind of structure. Mm -hmm. I want to hear more about like 
disability representation in Hollywood. I only have an idea of the representation from an external point of view. And I read what people are posting about representation is not there at all in the world of, of Hollywood. What do you see from maybe more on the, on the inside or someone who's peeked into the inside? <laughs> peaked is a good word. Uh, peeked behind the curtain and seen some positive things happening for the future. There's a lot of momentum that mm -hmm. is building the entertainment industry is such a massive ship to use that metaphor. Yep. And the disability conversation is a very tiny rudder on that ship, but we're seeing that people are starting to listen. Mm -hmm. People are starting to understand the value and people are starting to understand how problematic past representation and current representation often is. So there's lots of examples of bad representation currently. There's a few that are good. And then there's some things that are on the horizon that we're seeing are being announced. Um, so one show that I'll point to that has great representation, especially in season four, is Sex Education. Yeah. So Sex Education, one of the writers, at least there may be more that I'm not aware of, but one of the writers is disabled. Uh -huh. And she has been um, intentional in bringing disability representation to the show. And I forget which season um, the first disabled character showed up with two or three. But in season four, there's numerous characters of various disabilities. And the way that it's presented, I haven't seen anything problematic in season four. Amazing. It's been great. That's cool. That's cool. So we now have a bar. <laughs> Whereas before, there's not really any representation that I was aware of. And I'm like, there's the bar. Right. Let's do better than that. It was just like, well, there's no bar. Do something. <laughs> <laughs> do anything. And so we have we have some of these studios that I'm hoping are trying. Mm -hmm. That they're, they're taking small steps. So like Champions came out this past year. What they got right is they had actual disabled actors play the disabled characters. Right, right. Which is such a tiny ask, but it's somewhere like 95%, don't quote me, it's in the 90 percentile yep. of disabled characters are played by non-disabled actors. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But the movie was written, there were several screenwriters involved. None of them were disabled. The director wasn't disabled. The mm -hmm. producers weren't disabled, at least none that they've disclosed. And none of them have any seemingly background in the disabled community right. of involvement. So how are you going to produce something that's equitable? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. You know, um, and there's just so many films like that and TV shows that are just like, yeah, we're going to do disability representation by ourselves. <laughs> right. You know, I think that like a lot of it stems, I see this in big business as well, where my expertise was, is that a lot of, a lot of chief ex officers, they, they, they just don't know. And whatever the parallel is in the world of uh, media and entertainment, you know, they simply just don't know because the conversation was not there back when they were, junior filmmakers let's see or junior junior uh, uh leaders right like the conversation was just not there 20 years ago 
when I have conversations uh, around, you know, what's the shift turning into, I tend to lean into this whole idea is it's a generational shift. What do we look yeah. at when we see Gen Z coming up and there, they want inclusion as part of the conversation when they make purchasing decisions. And that's the reality, I think, of what, what we pay for is what we want, right? So, so if Absolutely. we see representation, yeah. if we see inclusion, then we pay for it with our wallets. And therefore, like that is the incentive for organizations to do it. But 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the conversation wasn't even there. So it was like, oh, you're representing this. Like, I don't even get that. Like, it's it's not even part of the dialogue. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen in 20 years when Gen right. Z is up with at decision making you know, uh, roles or, or with the ability to do, to make more decisions and what choices will be made at that time for underrepresented peoples of all types, be it minorities yes. or other groups or subgroups of, of, of any type. Yeah. And that's one of the challenges that we're facing right now is so 26% of the U S population has a disability. What percentage of the writers guild of America do you think is at least public or or in in the surveys disclosed having a disability do you got a number for me point seven <laughs> percent okay and, and there's so many barriers where hollywood would not give accommodations mm -hmm. i've requested accommodations on a lot of the projects that i've tried to get on or have been a part of and they weren't given and when everything is freelance they can just not hire you and you have no means of going, well, this is discrimination. Where's your proof? Mm -hmm. Well, you asked for an accommodation. They said no, and right, didn't right. hire you. So like even getting through the interview stage can be a challenge. I know that the percentage of disabled writers in the WGA is larger than 0.7%, but I probably in guessing that it's not terribly much larger. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that if someone is not willing to disclose, then they're not going to be a writer who does disability representation in mm -hmm. their writing. They're not mm -hmm. going to be putting their neck on the block to go, hey, we need to do disability representation. Or if there is something in the show that they're working on going like, hey, this isn't equitable because there is such a reaction of people getting cut from shows and it's their livelihood right. and all that kind of thing. So the challenge is we have this vacuum on all and, and writers, <laughs> that's the easiest role to have a disability in because mm -hmm. you're sitting at a computer writing. Yep. You're not on set for 16 hours a day, <laughs> but like if you're a disabled writer and you want to do disability representation, well, the expectation is you have to work your way up. Mm -hmm. So you start as a writer's assistant. And by the time there's disabled writers who have the experience to do, you know, show running, head writer, or even just writer, a decade has gone by. And so we really need for the people in decision-making uh, levels of Hollywood to go, we're going to make this a priority. Mm -hmm. We are going to mentor and fast track yep. these productions, these stories, and we're going to give them all the tools that they need to be successful mm -hmm. with people mm -hmm. who do have experience to help fill in those areas where we disabled people have not 
been allowed to get experience. Absolutely. Just before we wrap up here, what's where's the future? Where's the future for you, content creation? Like, where's your focus going in the next uh, six months, 18 months, stuff like that? I am always juggling a number of balls. <laughs> I'm continuing to do my content creation. Uh, I love making those videos and sharing things that I'm going through and helping other people and having those conversations. Uh, the other facet of my work, there's two other facets. So the second facet is the disability consulting that I do. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm working with a number of, of companies for disability representation. Some of them I can't talk about because it's under NDA. Others are in process. So, uh, but yeah, I have some speaking engagements and that kind of things in the works. Um, and then I'm also always working on my own film career. So mm -hmm. pretty soon in the next couple of months, I'm going to start fundraising for my first feature film. Um, so I'll be fundraising that. And then I'm always working on several scripts and pitch decks and all of that. Uh, mm -hmm. So that when the time is right and I find the right people, uh, the show is ready to go and ready to get made. So cool. That's really cool. We talked a lot about representation and there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of work that goes into doing all of this. Why, why is it important to you? Uh, I have not really seen myself represented on screen. There's been some, some facets of myself that I've seen. Um, and there's been a number of friends that I've never seen represented on screen. And there's so many different manifestations of disability and so many experiences of disability in, in wide brush strokes that we have never seen depicted that for one are just great stories right. that I wanna right. see told. But two, representation is so important. And if we can normalize the existence of disabled people and our validity in existence, then we can also start moving things like cultural acceptance and governmental protections and funding mm -hmm. to make our world accessible for everyone. Wasn't that a great episode? You probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now. Now, how are you gonna go and teach that to your boss, your team, or your clients? You need a strategy to move forward. Contact me today, hi at cambodwine.com, and let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could right now, like and subscribe to this show, it really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.